It is a beautiful morning. It's a great blessing we have to be together this morning and worship our Heavenly Father. We have several visitors in our presence, and we thank you for your choice to be here today. Pray that you'll have safe travels as you travel home. We also have those joining us on Zoom this morning. We thank you for you for tuning in. It's my prayer this morning that you will be edified and that you will be strengthened and better able to focus on Christ after we listen to the lesson and if we will put into practice the things that we talk about this morning. You know, the older we get, I believe, the more we desire peace and not turmoil. The more we want things to be at ease wherever we have dealings with people, wherever they are, at work, at home, in a church such as this, we want things to be peaceful. We don't want turmoil. The Apostle Paul was no different than we are. He wanted peace with his fellow man. When he stood before Felix and refuted the accusations that the Jews brought against him, he said in Acts chapter 24 and verse 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. If we want peace, that means when things arise, there has to, something has to, be, has to happen. There has to be a way that we get past the wrongs that are done to us and the wrongs that we do to someone else. Just as Paul did, we should seek to have a peaceful relationship with everyone. First and foremost with God our Father, but also with our fellow man. This involves keeping problems resolved and offenses cleared. Now in a group such as this, in a small group in your family, at times it's hard to maintain the peace. But imagine when you have so many, when you're blessed with so many brothers and sisters and relationships with each, there's times that offenses occur. And it's important that we resolve them quickly so that we can not focus on the offenses or the offender, but we can focus on what we should be focusing on, and that is service to our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That's how important it is to God. He says, if you come to worship me and you realize that there's an offense between you and another, go and reconcile that, if at all possible, and then come and worship me. Make sure you do all you can. If we fail to seek peace with others, as we see here, our worship can and will be hindered. Our worship can be rendered vain if we do not seek peace. You know, it's inevitable that problems will arise. Offenses will occur. That's just a part of life. That's a part of us being human. People will offend us, and at times it will be intentional. At times, it will not be. It will be accidental. They won't even know that an offense has occurred. How we react to these offenses is important if we want to have a good relationship with God our Father 
and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This morning, I'd like to look at the forgiveness that God extends to each one of us and use that to help determine how we should forgive our fellow man. First off, what does it mean for God to forgive us? The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. God's forgiveness is a promise to us not to hold our past sins against us. He's not going to put it away, lock it in the closet, and then at a convenient time, bring it back out and bring it up before us. He promises to wipe our slate clean, to get rid of that offense as if it never happened, and not hold it between us and our relationship with Him. His forgiveness is absolutely complete. Psalm chapter 103, verses 11 and 12 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. No, there's nothing that we can do to merit or deserve this forgiveness that God extends to us. It's only because He wants a relationship with us. And his, He has grace and a willingness to extend forgiveness to us to have that relationship. While this forgiveness is undeserved, it is conditional. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Also, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Being forgiven is conditional on being contrite and also being obedient to God's Word. The Hebrew word for contrite in Psalm chapter 34 and verse 18 literally means crushed to powder. We are void of self, and of pride. We are completely humble. We realize that we have sinned against God and are not worthy of a relationship with Him. Being obedient means that we obey what God has commanded us to do to seek reconciliation. Because we realize that we cannot be pleasing to God if we follow our own opinions, if we follow what we think should be acceptable to God. Again, we're void of pride. We're completely humble. The fact that we must obey in order to receive forgiveness does not mean that we somehow earn this forgiveness. Jeremiah the prophet spoke of the forgiveness that God offered to his children in the Old Testament. The people of Israel and of Judah, his chosen people, God's, they over and over again, they had transgressed His law and had done evil toward Him and turned their back on Him. God rebuked them each time and punished them because of their disobedience and allowed them to be taken captive into Babylon. But God foretold of their coming back to Him and follow Him in Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 5. He says, In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, 
they and the children of Judah. Together with continual weeping, they shall come and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come, let us join together ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. It was upon this decision to repent and forsake their sin and pursue God, and only after this decision to forsake their evil ways, that God would grant them forgiveness for their sins. He would not extend that forgiveness while they were continuing in that lifestyle, in pursuit of wickedness and sin. But when God's people turned their back on sin and followed Him, Jeremiah foretold of the magnitude of God's forgiveness in verse 20. It said, In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, but, there shall not be, but they shall not be found. For I will pardon those whom I preserve. Jeremiah said, When God forgave their sins, they couldn't be found. If you searched for them, they could not be found and laid on their account. It was like a criminal that was pardoned from the king and the record was stricken of anything that had ever been done wrong. The children of Israel did not earn this forgiveness. God did not owe it to them, but He chose to extend it to them because of their obedience. If we obey God today and pursue Him forsaking our sin, His forgiveness is the very same for us. The path to forgiveness that God has set for us in the New Testament is through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ, His Son. That's why He sent Him to this earth. If it could have been any other way, I believe He would have. But because it had to be Christ Jesus, His Son, to come to the earth, He made it possible. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our sins are washed away through the blood of Christ and through that, that blood alone. Our debt is paid by His perfect payment, His death upon the cross of Calvary. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Forgiveness is truly a free gift. And just like the children of Israel, we have to meet God on His terms to receive that gift. The way we come into contact with the blood of Christ is through obedience to the plan of salvation. And that plan of salvation culminates in the act of baptism. You know, when Peter told the Jews that had come together on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 about what they had done by crucifying Christ, they asked, what must we do to be saved? We realize that we need a Savior. We are in sin. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In obeying the gospel, they were accepting God's gifts on His terms. And they received what He had promised to give them. Forgiveness over their sins. You know, one of the hardest things for us to do is to move past our own sins. We can understand God's forgiveness and we can see how He promises to forgive us. And we can see that He has done that time and time again. 
because he desires that relationship with his people. But sometimes we hold on to our own guilt and shame. And somehow we think God can forgive us, but we cannot forgive ourselves. I believe this is one of the many tools that Satan uses against God's children so that we will not be productive citizens, so that we will focus inwardly and focus on ourselves and somehow we become a victim because of our own guilt. And we are unable to move past that and be a productive worker in God's kingdom. You know, the Apostle Paul realized that he had done many wicked, evil things in his life. You know, he could have been rendered useless for the cause of Christ because of his past. You know, he even called himself the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. But he didn't allow his past to bring him down and keep him from serving Christ. If God can forgive us, we need to be able to forgive ourselves. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, If then ye were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul realized that he had done a lot of bad. But he set his affections on God, on things above, so that he could pursue righteousness, and he could pursue the glory of God, and extend the grace of God to as many people as he could come in contact with. You know, he couldn't completely erased, erase his memory of his past. And I'm sure there were physical consequences to his actions upon the earth that he had to endure the rest of his life. But he could forgive himself and move forward and pursue God. He knew that he no longer had on his account the death of Stephen, the putting in prison and causing to blaspheme those Christians that he had done before becoming a servant of Christ. Now, those were evil things, but he could put that behind him because he knew his God and Father would not bring it up to him again. When God looked at Paul, he saw the perfect blood of Christ and nothing else. So we should be able to move past our sins of our past with that, with that knowledge that God, when he looks on us, when he looks on the faithful Christian, he does not see our past, but he sees the blood of Christ. Now that we've seen how God forgives us, let's notice how that we should forgive others and how this should affect our relationship in dealing with the forgiveness of others. First off, our forgiveness must be unlimited toward those who repent and ask for our forgiveness. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4 says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now this may happen with toddlers or little kids at home. They offend each other, and I'm sorry. And that happens over and over. But when we get older, how many times have you been offended seven times in a day? You know, you get pretty worn out pretty quick if that happens. But God says, if that happens and they repent, you forgive them with the knowledge of the forgiveness that you have of Christ, from Christ. Note that Christ said, you shall forgive. There's no option. It's a commandment. 
In Matthew chapter 18, Peter asked how many times he had to forgive his brother. Christ answered his question saying, in, 18, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In essence, as many times as it takes to maintain peace. I believe in these two instances, Christ shows us that our forgiveness cannot be finite if we want to be a servant of God. We need to be willing to forgive as long as we have life on this earth. Not only does Christ command us to be forgiving and forgive others, but He also says if we don't, God will withhold His forgiveness of us. Mark chapter 11, verse 25 says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespass. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now it's pretty important that I forgive others because I know that there are things that I need to be forgiven of. And if I withhold that forgiveness, in essence, I'm condemning myself. I'm saying I don't want God's forgiveness because I'm willing to forsake my forgiveness to, be, to hold on to some, the forgiveness that I'm withholding from someone else. We cannot do that. Another thing we should notice about forgiveness is that we as the party that has been offended need to rebuke the one that has transgressed against us. You know, this is hard when you want a good relationship, when you want peace. But the Bible tells us when there's an offense, it needs to be brought out so that amends can be made. This doesn't mean that we need to be quick to be offended and that any time someone steps on our toes, we need to go to them and start an issue. This doesn't mean any time we have a perceived injustice happen to us that we must make an issue out of it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Over and over in the Scripture, we are commanded to be a patient people, to understand that things are going to happen, and don't get offended easily. We are also told that we need to be slow to speak and slow to wrath. But again, it, uh, we go back to this. We are also commanded to rebuke our brother that defends us. Luke chapter 17 and verse 3 says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now one thing, when we go to our brother, they repent. We have to be willing to forgive. We may feel like, you know what, they're not going to repent. And then I'm going to have to go through these steps in Matthew 18. But when they do repent, do we think, oh man, I didn't get to go through it. I can't hold on to this anymore. We need to be willing to forgive. You know, it may sound odd, but we do seek peace and maintain peace with each other in part by rebuking when there is a wrong. You know, sometimes the offending party doesn't even know that there is something that's come between us. They don't realize an offense has occurred until it is brought before them that this is something I cannot get past. They don't have a chance to repent and move 
pass that with you. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And also in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 23, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. We do ourselves or the person that, we, that has offended us no favor when we do not address the problem. If it's something we cannot get past, we need to address it. We do not need to hold a grudge and somehow stew in that and they don't even know that there's an issue that they could reconcile with us. If we rebuke the offender, we call their attention to the problem and we give them the opportunity to correct it. You know, this may cause tension for a time. It may cause them to evaluate what they have done. and may, They may not agree with the offense. But hopefully, amends can be made. But I believe it does promote lasting harmony between us and them. You know, Christ gives us the, Christ, the process to deal with a Christian that offends us. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. We need to be willing to go through that process if that is something that we cannot get past. And if it's something that, we are, that is going to be between us until we address it. Another thing we find in the Scriptures about forgiveness is that we will be blessed if we forgive others. Proverbs chapter 11, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 17 says, The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. It's a blessing to be merciful. You know, our society today says, you trample on me, I'm going to do just the same to you and worse. And you're going to know who you dealt with. That's not what the attitude that a Christian should have. A Christian should be humble, should be merciful. And it does good to your own soul. The merciful man is one that extends mercy and forgiveness readily towards an offender. And we're told it does our soul much better than it does to withhold that forgiveness and hold on to it. You know, it takes a load off our mind if that offense can be forgiven, whether they return to us or not. If that's something that we can get past, we can let go of that and move forward and we can be productive in God's kingdom. It allows us to be a happier and a better person. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. God says it's glorious if it's something that you can overlook, if you can get past and move on. When we feel like we've been offended, we need to ask ourselves, have I done the very same thing to someone else? And we need to extend the same forgiveness that we desire from that person to the person that has offended us. We can't somehow make ourselves different and say, well, all, what I did is so much different when it's exactly the same thing. And say, I'm justified in withholding forgiveness, but when I offended someone else, they are not. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 21 says... Also, do not take to heart everything people say, 
lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. How many times have we done the exact same thing and somebody else has been forbearing and patient with us and forgiven us? We need to have that same attitude. We need to realize that we are all human beings and odds are we've done the very same thing to someone else. Even if we haven't offended someone in the exact same manner, we always need to realize that it's because of our sins that the most innocent, most righteous Son of God was put on a cross and crucified. And every weight of sin was on His shoulders because of us, because of me, because of my sin. Because of God's love, mercy, and willingness to forgive us, we can be pardoned from the most grievous acts that we have committed through the blood of Christ. We need to have that knowledge in the forefront of our mind every time we're going through this process. As we are seeking forgiveness and as we are seeking others to seeking to be reconciled with one another. You know, some people will say that the only way that we can forgive others is if they first repent of the transgression. They may cite Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, that we read earlier. And it says, Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. They'll say, it says, conditional upon repentance, you shall forgive them. And they might also note that God says He will only rep- forgive us if we repent. Remind you of Christ's words in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So can we do something that God cannot? Can we forgive someone even when they do not seek our forgiveness when they do not repent of that sin now i believe god's forgiveness is somewhat different than than the forgiveness that we can offer to someone else for one thing god has the power to completely forgive sins to completely wipe them off our record we do not in so doing he has the power of life and death over the souls of his creation In dealing out judgment, he has to be completely fair and righteous because he is a fair and righteous God. When dealing with our souls, it is a spiritual matter. It is a matter of eternity. As human beings, all we can do is pardon others of the debt that we perceive that they owe us because of some wrong they have done toward us. This debt is only physical. Think about it for a moment. Can we somehow withhold forgiveness and condemn someone's soul? We can't. We do not have power over that person's soul. What about when somebody offends us and then they die before they seek to be reconciled to us? Are we unable to let that go? Is there some way that we are bound to them forever, for eternity, because they have not sought repentance or sought our forgiveness? No, they have no power over us unless we give them that power by stewing in that.
Also, I'd like to note that God can see directly into the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows whether our repentance is sincere. He knows whether or not we're just giving lip, lip servants and whether or not we say, I repent or I'm sorry, and then we go back and continue to do the same thing. As human beings, we cannot see into the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. And if we hold back forgiveness, waiting on true repentance, then we would re be risking our own eternal damnation because we felt like they weren't truly penitent and they weren't genuine when they come to us and asked for forgiveness. If we do our part and go to our brother and follow the process of Matthew chapter 18, the issue will be resolved or the sin will be brought out and we can move past it. With that said, I would like to notice a few more things that we should do when others wrong us, even when they do not seek amends, even when they do not repent or ask for forgiveness. For one, we should look for the good in every situation. We should look on the bright side and try to find the silver lining in the situation and see what we can learn from it to help ourselves in the future and also to help others. We should use what we have learned as an experience to help us be better in the future and be wise as serpents and harmless as does. When I think about forgiveness, I always think about Joseph and dealing with his brothers and how resentful and how evil he could have felt toward them, how bitter he could have become over those some 20 years that without any interaction with them. But he chose to be positive and look on the bright side and be grateful for the opportunities that even though that they intended wickedness and evil toward him, the opportunities that it offered. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19 through 21. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Notice that he remembered his place. He remembered that he was not in the place of God. And because he was in the right, he didn't somehow lord over them and be able to affect their souls. He says, Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He could have been so evil. He could have been so vengeful toward his brothers. But he chose to be merciful. He chose to promote peace. One thing we must not do when we are offended is we must not seek revenge. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 29 says, Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Over and over in, in Scripture, God is clear that it is not our place to seek vengeance. It is not our place to right all the wrongs that have happened to us in this world. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Something else we should not do is 
Not only should we not seek vengeance, we should not wish ill on that person. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Think about Christ. Think about the fences that he was going through at the very moment of his crucifixion. And what did he do on the cross? He looked down upon them and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He chose to be merciful. He could have commanded every angel in heaven to come, out, come down and wipe out the entirety of mankind. And he would have been just in doing that. But he chose to have forgiveness. Christ went so far to, pr- to command us to pray for our enemies. And we cannot wish ill on them, and we cannot rejoice in their suffering. Now, this includes in indulging in feelings of malice. We can't even think about, oh, I wish this would happen to that person. I wish they would get their comeuppance. I, I wish X, Y, and Z would happen, and somehow they would get their due. We have to let it go. Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 32 says, Being filled with all unrighteousness, Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, and inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving. So this is a very laundry list of wickedness that God's talking about people that do not revere God and turn their back on God and pursue a wicked lifestyle what are the next two he says unforgiving and unmerciful if we are unwilling to forgive and unwilling to be merciful God says that's a sin just like all these others murder, strife, hate, deceit who knowing the righteousness, righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but approve of those that practice them not only if you do them but if you approve of this practice. Also Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We cannot have mal- malice. We cannot have evil thoughts towards somebody wishing them ill. No, God numbers unforgiving and unmerciful and malice with murder. Who was murdered? His son, Jesus Christ, was murdered on the cross. We are putting Christ on the cross whenever we do not forgive, when we are not merciful. We need to replace those things with kindness and an attitude of love. We must also not dwell in our anger. You know, it's okay to be angry, to be angered at something. That's, I believe that's an emotional response to some stimulus that causes that we're not expecting or we perceive as an injustice. But we cannot act wrathfully, have an outburst of wrath based on that anger. And we cannot stay angry. We have to let it subside and let it pass. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. If we can't let the sun go down on our wrath, in our anger, in our 
grudge? Can we let a year or two years or five or a decade or half a lifetime go by stewing in that anger and holding on to it? We cannot. Now, if we do any of these things that God commands us not to do, withhold forgiveness, seek revenge, have malicious thoughts, or continue in our anger, we turn from being the one that was offended to the offender. And we stand guilty before God rather than the one that has offended us. You know, if someone continually or purposefully offends you and does not repent, they are provoking you to wrath, which tempts you to sin and jeopardizes your soul's salvation. Just like any other person that has a bad influence on you, it is in your best interest to stay away from them. Now, if somebody is continually going to offend you, even if you have a merciful and forgiving attitude toward them, that doesn't mean you need to seek to be their doormat over and over and over again. If you stay around them, they are provoking you to be tempted to sin. And that, simply put, is not wise. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, brutal despisers of good, traitors, heady, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. I believe he's talking about those in the world and those that are wicked and evil. But I think in turn it's those that continually offend us and do not seek to make amends. What is, what is the last thing he says? And from, from such people turn away. We can have peace with our brothers and sisters, but we do not have to continually open ourselves up to be trampled on. Finally, as in all things we do, we, do, we need to trust in God and in His sovereignty. There's so many things that are out of our control, and the sooner we realize that, the better off we are in life. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord and with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. We need to realize that the offenses that occur in this life hell in comparison to the eternity that awaits us and if we can get through this life and have peace and seek peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ and those in the world to the extent that we can then we have a crown of life awaiting us and everything we endure in this time even if it's enduring things that people have done to us man how sweet is that reward going to be I haven't been there but I can tell you now it's going to be worth it all to be in heaven with Christ. We need to leave it up to God to resolve the inequities of life. We cannot be the people that are meeting out judgment and justice to the wrongs in this life. If we do, we will be a bitter and a sad people. You know, as our parents have told us time and time again, life is not fair. It's just a matter of fact. 
If we strive to mete out what we think is justice, then we try to put ourselves in the place of God and we become the offender rather than the offended. We must remember that there is nothing that anyone could ever do that would compare to what each and every one of us has done to the Son of God, to Christ, when He went to the cross because of my sins, because of yours. In closing this morning, each one of us has to deal with the wrongs that have been done to us, sometimes on a daily basis. You know, it can be a very trying and difficult situation to address these things, especially when there's no remorse, no repentance, or no reconciliation sought from the other party. But Christ clearly taught that it's much better to forgive than it is to hold a grudge. Throughout the Bible, we have found that God wants His people to be a forgiving people, a happy people, a peaceful people. And we will be blessed if we will forgive others and leave the rest to God. Christ showed us the perfect example of one offering forgiveness rather than seeking vengeance when He hung upon the cross and said to all those that could hear Him, speaking to the entire world, even those that were piercing His side, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The lesson is yours this morning. If you have not become a child of God and you have not realized that perfect forgiveness that God extends to each one of us through the death of Jesus Christ, His Son, you have a perfect opportunity to do that today. We have water in the baptistry and you can meet God on His terms. You can meet the blood of Christ in baptism. You can have your sins washed away and I can promise you God will not bring them up again before you. On the day of judgment, you will be white as snow. If you want to put on Christ in baptism or you desire the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.